Thanks for downloading this message from Devoted 2015, a Christ Central festival for all the family. Christ Central is part of New Frontiers, and our distinctives are made up of four priorities. Being friends, enjoying God together, building churches empowered by word and spirit, advancing the kingdom, transforming the world, and reaching nations, making disciples. Devoted is just one event, but you can find out more about Christ Central and other training opportunities at ChristCentralChurches.org. For more about Devoted, please visit DevotedEvent.org. Thanks for listening. See you next year. Thank you so much. It's a, a tremendous blessing to be here, to see what's taking place, to be with the leaders in the morning praying, to see the team that is being built around Jeremy and uh, how all that, yes, has been running for some years now, is being reproduced as you have a passion to go to the nations, to plant churches within the UK, to work together as covenant brothers and sisters. Thank you so much for inviting Wendy and me to be with you. We've enjoyed it very much indeed, and I do pray I can be a blessing to you in the Word tonight. I've been praying so much that God would bless many here, and I was so encouraged even this morning as I was praying with the leaders that God wants to bless in this meeting tonight. I want to speak to you from the book of Jonah, okay? I'm going to read to you from the first chapter of Jonah, and uh, I'm reading from the NASB, so don't bother to look it up in your own, even if you could see out there, okay? Jonah and chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, went down into it to go with them, to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God. And they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, laid down and fallen sound asleep. So the captain approached him and said, how is it that you're sleeping? Get up. Call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us, so it will not perish. Each man said to his mate, come, let's cast lots that we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, tell us now, On whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He said to them, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men became extremely frightened. And they said to him, how could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he told them. And they said to him, what should we do to you, 
that the sea may become calm for us, for the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. He said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rowed desperately to return to land, but they couldn't, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. Then they called on the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, don't let us perish on account of this man's life. Don't put innocent blood on us, for you, O Lord, have done as you've pleased. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Father, thank you for the privilege of singing your praise, the sheer joy and delight in reflecting on the great truths you put in our hearts. We thank you that we know this amazing God, this Lord of everything. There's no other God or King like you. We thank you, Father, for the huge privilege of knowing you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for its authority. And we ask you right now, Father, in the name of Jesus, for the Holy Spirit to rest upon us. Come, Holy Spirit. Be our teacher. I pray that, Lord, we'll hear more than I say. I pray we'll hear you in our hearts. I pray we'll hear our Heavenly Father speaking to us. Lord Jesus, have your way here tonight. Mighty Holy Spirit, come upon us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Jonah's a very famous story. Even those who know very little about the Bible know something of the story of Jonah and, of course, have difficulty believing it because it's such a strange uh, story. A man swallowed by a fish. Come on. Uh, a story of a whole nation repenting, ultimately. That's a bit extraordinary. A story of a, a plant that grew up and provided shade and then died. I mean, it's just got so many strange aspects to it. We might think, how could this possibly have taken place? And we might think, well, it's a kind of parable. It's a fable. And some have even said, it's like a fable of the nation of Israel, that Israel was swallowed up by Babylon and then later was spat out again. And, and you know, it's just a, a strange story. But actually, Jesus, Jesus spoke about Jonah like he spoke about other historical figures. He spoke about Jonah almost in the same breath that he spoke about the Queen of Sheba, who was uh, undoubtedly a historic figure. And he just said, yeah, Jonah. And also you find Jonah in the Old Testament. You find him referred to in uh, Second Kings where you read in chapter 14 and verse 23, that he prophesied, interestingly, he prophesied in a time when Israel was very backslidden. The king was called Jeroboam. He wasn't obeying God. And Jonah prophesied that the board of Israel would be extended. And they were. And so he was vindicated. And it says here that uh, he restored the border of Israel from the entrance of Hamath, as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was in Gath-Hepha. 
So here's this man, he's a historic figure, he's a true prophet of God, and God used him and God spoke to him, but God spoke to him in a, in a way that was unusual because usually when a nation was backsliding, God would raise up a prophet like Elijah who would go to the king and say, you need to repent, you need to change. Jonah didn't have that call. Jonah was able to prophesy blessing, favor, extension, and it happened. So Jonah's a pretty comfortable prophet. He's not paying any kind of price for his ministry. Life is pretty easy. But he is an authentic prophet. How do we know that? Well, because it says the word of the Lord came to him. Now, the book of Jonah is unlike any other Old Testament book of a prophet. Most Old Testament books of prophets are full of prophesying. If you open Isaiah, you turn page after page. Thus is the Lord. Thus the amazing prophecies, incredible prophecies. The book of Jonah has eight prophetic words. He only prophesies eight words. And so actually it's the whole book that has the story in it. It's what happened to him is what God is speaking to us. And the phenomenal thing is what God did with this man. He was an authentic prophet. Now, it's interesting. The word prophet is sometimes used kind of in the political world. Earlier in this year, I, I, uh, I read Boris Johnson's book of Winston Churchill. had it for Christmas. A terrific book. I loved it. I really I enjoy reading these biographies. And, and many would say that Churchill was like a prophet. In what way was he like a Bible prophet? Well, he kind of spoke against the tide. He was pretty unpopular for what he said. Others were saying peace. He was saying, no, that's not the way it's going to be. And he was ultimately vindicated and proved to be true. You think, wow, like a prophet. I read the story of Abraham Lincoln the previous year. Amazing man. He stood against a generation. He stood with a phenomenal voice, ultimately vindicated, now respected and honored for a season. Very, very unpopular. Read about Mandela. Incredible man. Nelson Mandela. I expect many of you read his story, Long Walk to Freedom. These great figures, these prophetic voices, these men that stand out in the crowd. We say, oh, they're like prophets. Yeah, they're like prophets, but they're not actually Bible prophets. In the Bible, a prophet isn't so much a brilliant man like Churchill. Churchill was a student of history. See, Churchill said this, the further you look back in history, the further you'll see forward. So he studied history, saw the movement of nations, and he applied his knowledge, and he spoke. Bible prophets are not like that. Bible prophets had the word of the Lord coming to them. It just, God speaks to them. And God chooses people, sometimes very reluctant people. Jeremiah, God called Jeremiah while he was still very young. And Jeremiah said, no, I can't, I can't do that. And God says to him, look, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I called you to be my mouthpiece. And Jeremiah even argues with God. He says, every time I speak, I get in trouble. You find Amos is a prophet, and they say to Amos, go and prophesy somewhere else. And he says, I'm not a prophet, I'm a farmer, and that says the Lord to you. <laughs> these, these guys are, they're kind of amazing people, not because of who they are really, but they're a mouthpiece. In fact, God says to, to Moses, he said, look, you can't speak, all right, you, you, you speak to your brother Aaron. He said, Aaron will speak for you. Then he says this, interesting, he says, Aaron will be your prophet. 
That's how God uses the word. Aaron can be your prophet. In other words, he can speak for you. That's how you speak for me. So Bible prophets are God's mouthpiece. And Jonah's an authentic prophet. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Now the miracle of the Bible is this, that we live in an age where God says to us, God speaks to us in this new covenant. And in the book of Joel in the Old Testament says, in the last days I'll pour my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And I'll pour my spirit on all flesh. And it says in Corinthians, you can all prophesy. You can all prophesy. We're a prophetic community. We're a people who speak for God. We're his voice to our generation. We are a prophetic people. Jesus said this about his disciples. My sheep hear my voice and follow me. We had this massive privilege that Old Testament people knew nothing about. In the Old Testament, there might have been one prophet in a generation, like a Jonah or a Samuel or an Elijah, and you, you kind of hoped he might visit your town sometimes. Samuel would do a national tour. And if you were in town, hey, Samuel came to town. Or if he wasn't there, like Saul, you'd say, I better go and find Samuel, the prophet. Sa- prophets in the Old Testament were pretty rare. In the New Testament... We can all prophesy. We read Philip had four daughters who prophesied. I wonder what breakfast was like in their home. All right, <laughs> Prophesying is, hey, we're prophets. We, we hear the voice of God. We speak for God. And so the voice of God is heard by this man. And God says to him, I want you to go to this nation. Now, instead of being like some of these other Old Testament characters, he is so out of step with God. And the amazing story is that God cares about his servant. God cares about us, even when we're not doing well. See, Jonah was not doing well. God said to Jonah, go, and effectively he said, no. The next line does not say, "Uh, Amos, come on, I've got a job for you. No, the story goes on about how God pursues one who's not doing well. And he's doing that here tonight. Some of you are not doing very well at the moment. You're not really listening. You're not necessarily doing what God's saying. But he loves you. And he wants the best for you. He wants to call you right back into his purposes because he so wants to bless you. He doesn't just want to get the job done. He wants to bless you in doing the job. He wants to fellowship with you in it. He wants to encourage you where you feel you've lost your way. He wants to bring you right back into his purposes. And that's what he's going to do with Jonah. But we find that when God says, I'm going to judge, God said similar things to Abraham. He said to Abraham, I'm going to blah, I'm going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham was told, oh God, don't do that. Abraham was a real, a real prophet. He not only heard God, he prayed to God. And that's one of the characteristics of Bible prophets. They pray, they come back to God, they fellowship with him, they care about things that he cares about. And when God said, I'm going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham pleads with him, don't do that. And then later when God says to Moses, I'm going to judge Israel, you don't find Moses saying, all right, do it if you like. He says, no, 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 God, don't do that. And you find these real prophets, they remember that God actually has a big plan. When God spoke to Abraham at the beginning, he said to Abraham, I will bless you, and through you I'm going to bless all the families of the earth. 
And there were times in Jewish history when they realized why we're on the planet. We're here for all the nations of the earth. You'll find many of David's psalms say, let all the nations praise him. Let all the peoples come. And when Israel was in a good place, they remembered they were there for the nations. Abraham knew, I'm here to bless the world. David knew, hey, we're here for world blessing. Other times, they got very closed in. Like when Jesus came and the Pharisees were just hostile to everybody else. That happened in Jewish history. There were times when they said, well, we're special, but you're not. And they kind of lost the plot, really. And Jonah was like that. Jonah was indifferent to what happened to other nations. He wasn't preoccupied with it. It didn't matter to him. And so we find he didn't respond to what God was saying to him. We find he didn't start by following God. It says... Arise and go. You find Jonah does the exact opposite. It's interesting. It says when God spoke to Elijah. Remember when God spoke to Elijah? He said, Elijah, go to the brook Cherith. And the very next verse is this. So so Elijah arose and went. And then God speaks to him again. He says, now arise and go to Zarephath. Next verse says, so he arose and went to Zarephath. It says of Jonah... Go. It says, Jonah arose and went the other way. (laughs) He's not responsive. He's not responsive. He doesn't do the will of God. Maybe God said something to you. Maybe God said to you, I want you to get involved with those refugees. You know he's put them on your heart. But you know, it's so costly. I want you to take seriously what Chris said yesterday about being involved in adoption or fostering. You felt the tug, but I want you to not use that kind of language in the workplace. You're my son. What are you doing? Yeah, well, everybody. No, I want you to stop. I want you to be a light for me. I want you to, to raise your family in a godly way. Oh, these days, come on. I want you to cherish your wife. I want you to sacrifice. Oh, come on, Lord, hold on. I want you to obey your husband. Obey your husband, it's 21st century, forget it. There's all sorts of things God says to us that are not necessarily our preference. They're not necessarily what we want to do. And in that, we're in dangerous territory because God wants us to be prophetic. He wants us to represent him to a poor, blind generation that is drifting further and further away from God. And he's looking for this prophetic community to be his voice. And so often we choose not to do what he's saying to us. And we find with Jonah, it says this, he went from the presence of the Lord. He fled from the presence of the Lord. Now, how do you do that? How do you go away from the presence of the Lord? We all know our Bibles. We know it says in Psalm 139, Where can I flee from your presence? He says, if I go here, you're there. If I go there, if I make my bed in hell, you're there. Where can I go? It's impossible to flee from the presence of God. And so the verse says it's impossible. Here it says Jonah did it. How how does that work? Well, the word, the Hebrew word for presence is also the Hebrew word for face. And what it's saying is this prophet who should have been in face-to-face fellowship with God withdrew from that privilege. 
That was the privilege of the prophet. He could be face to face. And he could have fellowship. He could hear the voice of God. He could be in the fellowship face of God, in his presence. Moses would personify that more than any. You remember the story of Moses? Moses would go to the, the, the tent of meeting and there face to face with God. He'd come out his face shining. That's what he's talking about. It's talking about not drawing near, not having that kind of close proximity. He fled from that close proximity. And when he ceased to be in the presence of the Lord, actually, he ceased to be a prophet. Because this is what makes a prophet a prophet. A prophet is one who comes from the presence of the Lord, one who comes bringing the presence of the Lord, one who knows the mind of God, one who's listening to the mind of God and so speaks on behalf of God. So when the prophet is no longer in the presence of God, he actually is a defunct prophet. He may be called Jonah the prophet, but when he walked away from that kind of fellowship, he's no longer being a prophet. He fled from the presence of the Lord. See, that was the tremendous mark about these guys. You find in the, I'm doing a series uh, in my home church on Moses. And at the beginning of the story of Moses, you find Moses is commissioned by God. He, he sees this, this bush is burning. God calls him by name and says, now go. Go and speak to Pharaoh. And he, he has this kind of engagement with the man and persuades him. Even puts miracles in his hand. You know, the rod becomes a snake, becomes a rod again. Wow, God persuades him to go. And he's kind of full of power and might and goes down to Pharaoh and says, thus says the Lord, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, who's the Lord? Push off. And, and, and Moses, I'm sure he said, hey, what? Well, thus says the Lord, you know, get out. Oh, well, okay. Uh, and what happens? He goes back to God. He says, God, nothing happened. Nothing happened. And God speaks to him again and speaks to him again. And he goes back to Pharaoh. And as you read the story through, it's interesting. The story starts with a great big Pharaoh and a very feeble little Moses. And as you go through the story, you find a great big Moses and a very little Pharaoh. Because more and more you realize, when you speak to this guy, God's speaking to you. He represents God. Because he goes back to God and says, he won't let him go. And God says, I will. I'll do this. I'll do this. Okay, okay, okay. So he goes back and speaks. And so when you meet Moses, you're meeting God. You're very conscious, this is God's voice coming to me. Similar with Elijah went to, uh, went to Ahab. He went to Ahab and he said, it's not going to rain until I say so. Ahab argues with him. And then he says this, the God before whom I stand. And you suddenly realize, Whoa, when this man speaks, I hear God speaking. When this man speaks, I'm encountering God. And that's what the prophet's like to be. The prophet's meant to be one who goes into the presence of God, is persuaded by God, and he comes out from the presence of God. Now, we're living in a generation where our prime minister is saying to us as a church across the nation, oh, come on, church. It's the 21st century we're changing a few laws. Come on, get in, get into place. Come on, church. Come in, church. Come on, church. Line up, line up. And the nation is waiting to see a church that looks like it comes from the presence of the Lord. It's met with God. It knows what God's standards are. It knows what God's after. And, that, and what you're meeting is people who know God, not people who just reflect society. 
Not just people who mirror cultural change. Oh, I see, that's what you prefer. Okay, we'll change church. No, we go back in the presence of God because that's what it is to be prophetic. We represent God. We speak for him. And here Jonah no longer spoke for God. He was no longer in his presence. He began to go away from face-to-face fellowship. His prophetic ministry is no longer being felt for its power. He becomes somewhat irrelevant and goes away from the presence of the Lord. Now, fascinating, really. The story is a bit like the story of the prodigal son. Because later you're going to find he, he comes to the place, as we read, we say, I'm a Hebrew. He, he kind of owns up to who he is. Rather like the prodigal son. When everything's gone, the money's gone, the friends are gone, and it comes, it says, he came to himself. He came to himself. He realized he needed to go back home. But you know, that the story of the prodigal son was told by Jesus probably more for that older brother aspect of the story. Because the Pharisees were so weary of Jesus eating with sinners. They didn't like him eating with sinners. They, they said, you're supposed to be a rabbi. What are you doing? And so Jesus told that story. And the bite of the story is this, that when the prodigal came home, hey, let's have a party. This is my son. He was dead. He's alive. He was lost. He's found. Let's celebrate. And the older brother says, what are you doing? I never left home. I never squandered your money. I never shamed your name. You've never given me a party. And the father says, oh, son, everything I have is yours. You so missed what I'm offering you. Beloved, it's possible to miss God never having gone away. You may be sitting there tonight saying, I've never gone into the far country. I've never gone off. But you know, you can stay at home and not know the father. You can be in the Father's house but not know the Father. So let's not switch off and say, oh, this is for people who went away. I've never done that. Are we enjoying the fellowship of the Father? Do we understand the Father's love? So this is what's being invited here, that we come and understand afresh the Father's love. So here, this this servant of God who should have known face-to-face fellowship ran away. And it says he found a ship. He found a ship. Now it's interesting. He wants to go to Tarshish. He comes down to the harbor. Hey, what do you know? There's a ship going to Tarshish. And you know, when you stop listening to God, you tend to be led by whatever turns up. You know, we're just led by circumstances, events, things that happen. And if you've been in pastoral ministry as long as I have, you know people who messed up their whole lives. Because they said, well, it just turned out that way. You know, I've seen marriages destroyed because, well, we kept on being thrown together at the workplace. You know, I used to go and get coffee and she got coffee at the same time. And I don't know, we just found we, we were thrown together. We were thrown together. And we just found we were, you know, I felt I didn't really love my wife like I used to. And this woman was so, and, and well, it just happened. It just happened. And here's Jonah. And, and Jonah's, Jonah's saying, I want to go to Tarshish. And look, here's a ship going to Tarshish. Satan has got a whole fleet of ships going to Tarshish. There'll be another long along tomorrow. Once we stop obeying God, we become just vulnerable to whatever turns up. Whatever turns up. And here this guy, he just gets on the ship and starts going off 
into irrelevance. And then we find that he fell asleep. He got into the ship and he went down into the ship and it says he fell asleep. Had no sense of purpose. Now, there's nothing wrong with sleep. I'm sure those of you who are camping here think, thank God for some sleep last night. Sleep's a mercy. It's a gift from God. God's very happy for us to have sleep. And sleep's a blessing. There's nothing wrong with sleep. Jesus, we read, slept in a storm. He was exhausted. He spent a busy life. So he arrived at the well in John 4. He sat down. He's thirsty. There's nothing wrong with a weariness. That's the result of working. God's built in rest and sleep for us. Hallelujah. But there's a sleep that's also kind of turning off, really. Opting out. A kind of sleep that's not engaged. A sleep that says, well, I'm not really, I'm not really in the deal. I just, come on, I, I just want to escape reality. He went down into the boat. And he stopped being relevant. He fell asleep. He stopped counting. He stopped having any kind of impact. That can happen to us, beloved. We can just find we're bored. We can find we're busy. Do you know you can be bored in the midst of busyness? We just kind of switched off. And we're not really in the battle. It's like we might say, well, there's a prayer meeting on Wednesday night. Yeah, but it's a long day. And the small group, do you go to the small group? Well, I, I don't have time for that. Oh, I see you're asleep. You're asleep. You're not really, oh, my wife goes. Oh, I see you're not, you're not engaged then. You're not really in things. You're just drifting. See, Jonah just drifted. He didn't, he didn't count anymore. He wasn't having any impact. He fell asleep. Have you fallen asleep? You're failing to have impact. Failing to be engaged. There's a prayer meeting. Yeah, well, I'll let them pray. But what is going to happen in Scandinavia? How are we going to break through such a secular nation? We've got such small groups there. We want to pray for them. We want to pray for them. Well, I have a busy life. You mean you're not in the battle? You don't care? Well, that's what we can do. We can find where we're not actually engaged. We're not part of it. And that's what happened with Jonah. He wasn't really part of it. He, he opted out. And then the next thing we find is the boat is in a massive storm. Suddenly, the whole of society is in a storm. Suddenly, his world is being tossed up and down. Suddenly, he's in serious, serious trouble. And the extraordinary thing is this, that the guys around him seem to care more about it than he does. They're saying, we better do something about this. And it's like, everyone's got their bucket. Let's get the water out. Let's get, and, and, and they're trying to do what they can. And do you know, it can sometimes be like that. It can be sometimes that the world seems to care more than we do. And sometimes the world is trying to get the church to help. So the world is saying, hey, this is terrible, all this binge drinking and our kids on the streets and look what's happening. We're going to start this thing. Uh, church, uh, would you like to help us? And, and sometimes they're ahead of us. It's like we care and that's what Hippo, these guys are saying, hey, let's do something and Jonah's fast asleep. He's irrelevant. And this is a tragic deal. Jesus said this, if the salt has lost its savor, it's good for nothing. 
but to be trodden underfoot. It's good for nothing. And, and Jonah's meant to be the word of God. He's meant to be the light of the world. He's meant to be God's chosen instrument. And he's good for nothing. He's not affecting things. He's asleep. He's not being who he's meant to be. He's meant to be God's representative. As a storm and other people are doing what they can. And this man's silent. He's not in the battle. He's not relevant. Until the word comes to him, they say to him, who are you anyway? Who are you anyway? And eventually he says, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord. You don't look like you do. But he's coming to who he really is. And beloved, I believe God wants to call some of us back here tonight to say, who really am I? Who am I? How am I supposed to be living? I know when I was a Christian, first as a young Christian, not doing very well at all, saved when I was 16, I asked Jesus into my heart. That was the current phrase. It was like I said to all the other idols, move over, Jesus is coming in. And I still worshipped all the other idols. And I prayed to Jesus when I was in trouble. But I wasn't for him, really. I remember once I was, uh, I was in in town in Brighton where I was raised and I was out with all my friends on a Saturday night and we used to go drinking I was always in church Sunday morning it was the only thing I used to do go to church Sunday morning and I was out on Saturday night and we're just walking around in the centre of Brighton I love the atmosphere it's a young people's town and as I'm walking down the street there's a young guy giving out tracts about my age and I I didn't I'm walking down this young guy says do you want this? I said I took it it's about Jesus. As all my friends with me, I thought, oh gosh, uh, thank you. Wow, who are you? I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord. What? What? You're a Hebrew? You fear the Lord? Doesn't look like it. Doesn't look like it. And a few weeks later, I was in church on a Sunday morning, and the preacher was actually a young guy who doesn't normally preach there, and he, and he was preaching. And he told me afterwards, he prayed and prayed and prayed. In fact, he told me afterwards, he said, I prayed so much for the young people's group because I felt they were so lukewarm. And I just prayed so much because I was going to have one chance to preach on a Sunday. I prayed so much for them. And I said, did you pray for me as well? He said, no, he said, you were beyond hope. It's a true story. He said, no, I didn't pray for you. You're beyond hope. But I was there, and when he spoke, it just penetrated my heart. And I felt God said to me, are you mine or not? Do you belong to me? Have I got your life? And I felt he said this, I want your life, and I want it now. And honestly, the first time in my life, I, I, I feared God. Because it seemed like he said this to me, and it's now or never. And I, I mean, I was really scared of God. I thought, he said, I want your life, and I want it now, and it's now or never. And I went home from that church meeting. We didn't have responses or anything like that in meetings. We didn't walk to the front of meetings in those days. I just went home, and I, I got on my knees. I said, God, I'm... I I guess gave him everything. I I lost all my friends. My whole life changed completely. My lifestyle, the things I did, the places I went, 
As far as I knew how, I just said, okay, Lord, I just gave over to you. It was quite a painful time, difficult time. I remember the next Saturday getting on my motorbikes, motor scooter in those days, and uh, my Lambretta, and I went down the streets of Brighton, I just, because of the powerful pull of it, I thought, oh God, and I thought, no, I've got to give this out, I drove around, I went back home again, I went into my home, my parents were watching television in the other room, and I put my bike away, and I went, and I thought, wow, this is supposed to be life in all its fullness, on Saturday night at home, while all my friends are out in Brighton. I thought, oh God, this is terrible. I'm dying here. And, and, and I, I turned to my Bible. I'd never done this before. I sat and I read through the book of Acts. I've never ever done it before. I read the book of Acts right through. And as I read it, I thought, wow, this was pretty exciting stuff. This doesn't look boring. And as I did it, I felt God drew so near to me. I didn't answer everything that night, but I suddenly thought, hey, I'm onto something here. I found something that could actually excite me. And it was so strange because week was boring and I lived for the weekend. And now all my friends are out and I'm in on a Saturday night. I can't believe it. But God spoke to me. And God began to draw me after him. He began to stir me and draw me and stir me. Within a year or two, I was baptized in the Spirit. Within another year, I'd left secular work. I was out serving the Lord. I began what became a great adventure. A backslidden teenager. Totally, as the preacher said, you were hopeless case. I really thought as we were singing this evening, he treasures the broken and makes them whole. He crowns us with his love. Some of you, you just know you're not doing well. And God doesn't say, okay, Jonah, push off then. Amos, I've got a job for you. Go to no, no. He's after him. He's after you, beloved. He wants your life. The story of Jonah is not just Nineveh getting saved. It's the servant of God being redeemed. Brought right back into his purpose. Knowing what he's on the planet for. Saying, no, I'm a Hebrew. This is, I'm meant to be a Christian. I'm meant to be a servant of God. Everything's meant to line up with that. It's not that I opt in and opt out. It's all meant to line up with this reality. This is who I am. I belong to God. I belong to God. Is that true for you? Is that what it's like at work? Do people know that it's this for you? Or would the people at work say, who are you? You're a Hebrew? You fear the Lord? It doesn't look like it. Beloved, we're living in such a storm. Our nation is drifting further and further and further away. More and more blind, more and more ignorant, more and more wayward, more and more changing its rules to adopt what's happening in society, more and more lost, and the need for a clear voice. The need for someone in the workplace to say, well, actually, I've, I've experienced God. You experienced God? I think anybody experienced God. When we planted our church in Portsmouth, the pastor who went in, he went into the uh, estate agent and said, I want to buy a house in Portsmouth. And the lady in the open office that she was working in said to him, why are you moving to Portsmouth? He said, I'm going to start a church. And he said, she pushed back in her chair 
And in the open office, she said, anybody here ever been to church? Nobody. 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 He's going to plant a church. Now there's a church. It's all coming alive. It's being added to. Beloved, we're living in a generation people don't know God. It's drifting. It's in terrible danger. Are we asleep? Or do we count? God wants to get us awake again. It's not because he's harsh. He treasures the broken. He wants to make you whole. He treasured Jonah. He went after him. He loved him. He wanted to bring him through. He wanted him to fulfill his destiny. When God saves you, he's got works that he prepared beforehand that he wants you to walk in. He doesn't want you to miss them. He doesn't want you to come to the end and think, well, what, what was that about then? He wants you to fulfill your destiny. And if he can take over hold a hopeless case and give them something to do, he can do it for you. He can give you purpose and meaning. He can give you an adventure. He can make you part of this great movement that's here. He can get you aligned with his plan. He can express his love to you. He can bring you into line. So we hear, he came to himself. He suddenly woke up to who he was meant to be. And he said, like, throw me overboard. Throw me overboard. Throw me into the storm. Throw me into the storm. And then after that, an amazing, wonderful thing comes. It says, the word of the Lord came again to Jonah a second time. That's one of the most wonderful words in the Bible. Do you know, actually, that's the story of the Bible. That's kind of encapsulating it. The word of the Lord came a second time. God didn't give up on the planet. He spoke again. He spoke again. God does that. He speaks again. He calls you again. Like Simon Peter. Simon Peter, not with him. I don't know him. He let God down miserably. Jesus dies and he comes and finds Simon. Simon, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Simon, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Simon, do you love me? God. Lord, you know, feed my sheep. The word of the Lord came a second time. And, and dear friends, it was the same word. The word came to Jonah. It wasn't like, Jonah, you failed. Okay, I'll give you, the, you know, just do this. All right, you've missed, you've missed what you were meant to be, so just do this little task. No, 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 the same word came. Beloved, the same word, the same possibility. The authentic thing God had for him. God wants to reinstate us to his very best purpose. Not saying, well, you blew that, I'll give you some little thing. No, he reinstated him. He put him right back on course, like he did with Simon Peter. Simon Peter, he gets forgiven, but on the day of Pentecost, Simon Peter's not at the back of the crowd saying, okay, guys, go for it. James, preach it. I stand with you, James. No, no, he's not at the back of the crowd. Simon Peter's right at the front. Simon Peter's the voice. Simon Peter's speaking. He's thoroughly restored to God's purpose. Absolutely. God knows how to reinstate people. He knows how to bring you through to his plan. That was his plan. He, it says, spoke to him a second time. The word of the Lord came to him a second time. And then it says this. Jonah went according to the word of the Lord. That's what he wants from us, beloved. 
He wants us to go according to his word. He wants us to be authentic. He wants his church to be prophetically authentic, really speaking for him, really representing him, not changing, but going back into his presence, getting fresh courage, going back into the situation again. Maybe it is with parents who say, what are you doing becoming a Christian? Like my parents said to me, you take this religious stuff too seriously. You know, you don't have to fight them, but you just have to be consistent. You need to really count or maybe in the workplace. Wherever it is, the school gate, there's an opportunity, opportunity to just be authentic, to be the true person God wants you to be. To say, no, I'm a Hebrew. I count in this. That's what God wants for us, that we go according to the word of the Lord. And he'll stand by us. He'll give us fruit like he gave to Jonah. Amazing success. But he's looking for us to be authentic. He's looking for an authentic, prophetic church in our generation. This nation needs to see churches that look as though they come from the presence of the Lord. They really represent him. They really are his voice. And that doesn't happen through, you know, websites. It comes through individual people living it out in every situation. Let me just close with one more thing here. Jesus said this, one greater than Jonah is here. What are they talking about? One greater than Jonah? Well, the story turns here when Jonah says, take me and throw me into the storm and you'll be okay. One greater than Jonah. One who came and said, I came not to be served, but to serve and to lay down my life, a ransom for many. We serve one who paid the price for us. One, it says about him, he was handed over. He was handed over to Pilate. He was handed over to the soldiers. You'll find that phrase recurring. He was handed over. He was handed over. Above it all is the voice of God, who spared not his own son, but handed him over. He was thrown into the storm. He was hurled into the trouble. He said, no man takes my life from me. I give it. I give it. Jesus gave his life that we might be set free. He gave his life that all our failures, all our faults, all our falling short can be wiped out, forgiven, forgotten. We can know the favor and mercy of God. Because he said, hurl me into it. I'll take away your guilt. I'll take away your failure. I'll take away your sin. I'll reinstate you to a right relationship with God. One greater than Jonah, one who said, I'll take your place. And these guys were reluctant to throw Jonah in. But Jesus would say to us, look, I will take your place. Hurl me, as it were, into the storm. If you read Jonah 2, which we won't do now, you'll find it's almost like a prayer of Jesus. It takes about the billows have gone over my head. I'm sinking down and down. And the cross, Jesus took it all for us. He comes to offer us a fresh start, beloved. Wouldn't it be wonderful to go out from devoted, knowing, hey, I'm right back in step with God again. I know I've, I know I've missed up. I know I'm not living according to the word. I know it's not as it should be, but I'm going to come back. I'm not just going to enjoy the singing, enjoy being here. I want to make this camp count for me. I want to get back in step with God again. I'd love to be authentic. I hate not being authentic. God wants you to be authentic. 
God wants you to be in step with him, to be his voice to our generation. I'd love to pray for you. I'd like to invite you to come and say, Lord Jesus, I give myself afresh to you. I want to be back in going according to the word of the Lord. I want your word to come to me again. We can freshly engage. Can we stand, please? Let's just draw near to God. Father, we recognize our nation, our generation, needs to see something genuine. Father, in as much as we fail to be genuine sometimes, we just come to you for fresh mercy. We come to you, Lord Jesus, to find you calling us, commissioning us, anointing us afresh, empowering. Lord, we want to come to you. Beloved, if God's spoken to you tonight, I want to invite you, if you know in your heart, God's spoken to me. Some of you, even right at the back of this great shed, God wants to reach right into your heart. He can see you there. He wants you. He cares for you. Even when you'd be tempted to write yourself off and feel I'm not really relevant. You might say, I don't even know if I am a Christian. But he wants you. Or you just may say, no, I just lost the way. I, I had a big decision to make in my life and I just wanted to do it my way. And in that moment, I, I just kind of took the steering wheel back and I, I stopped listening. I stopped obeying. I just I made my choices and it's not gone right. Whatever it is, and we don't need to know, God wants to draw you right back to himself. If you know God's spoken to you, I want to invite you right now just to slip out of the road. Let's come right now. Would you start coming? Let's come to Jesus tonight. Let's say thank you, Lord, for throwing your life away for me. I want it to really count. I want to live as one that you've brought through for yourself. You're giving me another chance. You want me to walk with you. Just start coming. Please let's come and meet with Jesus. Let's be prayed for. Let's find ourselves reinstated in his great plan. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Just say, excuse me, excuse me. Come out through those long rows and meet with the Lord Jesus here. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father.